Father, we all uh, extend our hand right now towards Andrew. We, we thank you, Father, for the gift he is. We thank you for the anointing you put in his heart, the teacher, the preacher that's in him. Father, we also put ourselves, our, our own hands in our own heart. We put ourselves in a position to receive today. You said that when we receive the one who sent him, we're really receiving you. And so we put ourselves in a position, Lord, to receive this vessel. We recognize that he's not simply filling in for a pastor who is in Chicago, but that, Father, this day, this moment, you placed him in our midst that you would teach and use. And so, Father, use him, Lord. Draw deep from the well, Holy Spirit, that you would change us and transform us that we'd be different vessels as we leave this place, that we'd be thoroughly equipped to do the work that you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome, everyone. Uh, so if, if you could all turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 21 through 26. It's uh, got that really enticing title, if you've got the NIV, uh, the title Murder. So... Probably thinking, oh, whew, that one doesn't apply to me this day. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Uh, I have to, unfortunately, start off with a confession. And the confession is, this text that we're about to read really, really bothers me. You're not supposed to say that in seminary. They tell you not to, to say that sort of thing. You know, you're supposed to get the crowd pumped about the word of God. But this one, this one really bothers me, and I'll, I'll explain in a, in a bit. By the way, my name is Andrew Gross. I'm one of the elders here at the church, uh, part-time on staff, help out with uh, some of our discipleship efforts. Uh, let's, let's read this together. Uh, yeah, well, and, and let, let, me, let me just say that um, if, you know, if, this, if you were nervous about this passage getting preached on, you know, I, I, I was really nervous trying to prepare it all week. Uh, Mark Twain, one of his famous statements uh, was that uh, he said, uh, I, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And uh, this, is, this is one of, one of those parts that I really understand, unfortunately. Uh, so chapter 5, verses tw- starting in verse 21. Jesus, you have heard it. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So far, so good. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, raka, way to say you fool, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Yeah, now you can see why it's bothering me a little bit. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. 
So maybe just reading through that, you can see why I find it bothersome to me. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's, there's nothing new about what Jesus is teaching here. In the Old Testament, this theme runs throughout. Uh, Psalm 37, verse 8 uh, says, Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. It leads to evil doing. Uh, and then in the New Testament, this is all over in the New Testament, Paul says on two occasions, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, and Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says to rid oneself of anger and rage. Uh, and then an, an, a couple other times, Paul says that our anger is part of our old nature, the part of the old nature that's not, it's not part of the new nature that Christ has, has given us. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, Galatians 5, verse 20. And then, of course, James, a famous line uh, in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, James writes, uh, Be slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So it's really clear. It's really clear what Jesus is saying here. Uh, it's really clear what it says throughout the Bible. Jesus says that our anger in the sight of God is equivalent to actual murder. He actually says it's worthy of punishment. And even uh, this punishment about being in danger of the fire of hell, that's even worse than the punishment that the law gave out uh, in, in the Old Testament. Now, what's interesting about this is that this passage did not used to bother me. It didn't used to bother me. And the reason is because I used to think that I did not have an anger problem. Uh, my kids are here in the room. They're like, we could have told you different, Dad. <laughs> yeah, you do. But I, I used to think I did not have an anger problem. And, uh, and so it didn't used to bother me. And, and in fact, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think it goes back to you know my, my dad, who's like 98% of the time is this Wonderful guy, very calm, very gentle, very rational. And then every once in a while, there'd just be this explosion of anger. And I'd, it used to terrify me as a little kid. So I, I actually remember, as a kid, vowing that I would never express anger. I was never going to express anger. And, uh, and so, so when I would, re I, I, I would read this in my earlier years as a Christian, I'd say, yeah, all right, Jesus, make a stand against those people with an anger problem. Um, you know, yeah, na nail them, Jesus. Tell, them, tell it like it is, those people with an anger problem. Um, but, but as life has gone on and, and, uh, and life has a way of kind of wearing down your reserves, I've begun to realize uh, in, in the last decade I, I actually, actually do have an anger problem. And... Uh, and, and it, and it's still, it's still not that explosive anger, it's, but what it is, it's actually even a little bit worse. It's kind of this um, passive-aggressive anger. You, you know what that means, passive-aggressive. That's like where you, uh, you, um, you might be smiling on the outside, and inside you're just boiling with rage. And uh, so other people don't always know. And you definitely don't always know that you're having a problem with anger, even though you might be feeling it inside uh, on the outside, you're staying calm and uh, cool and collected. I, I was a school teacher for a number of years, so I kind of just perfected it, you know, like, yes, you are in trouble. Yes, you, you have detention. Yes, still smiling, you know. So I, I, got, I got pretty good at that. Um, and it took me a while to realize I, I actually 
do have an anger problem, and, and I, you know, all kinds of things enrage me. Uh, it enrages me when things don't go my way. It enrages me when the traffic slows me down. It enrages me when, I, I don't know, I'm, I, more and more I'm just like not even reading the newspaper because I just like, whew, just get, like, what is happening to this world? You know, like, it, it's like, it's getting worse and worse, and it just enrages me. Uh, now, given, uh, well, granted, Jesus, we, we know this from the rest of the New Testament, Jesus did not mean, he wasn't talking about all anger all the time. Uh, we know Jesus got angry. Mark chapter 3, verse 5, records one of the instances among several where Jesus expresses anger. Um, Paul, who also expressed anger on a number of occasions, um, in Ephesians 4, verses 26 through 27, he quotes the Old Testament, Psalm 4, verse 4, and he says, in your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And so right there, Paul is, uh, is, is saying that there is this way to be angry and not sin. Uh, he's saying, you know, in other words, anger and sin are not identical, they're not the same thing. Uh, and so, so the point of what we're going to talk about today, it's not... It's not that sin equals anger or sin and anger are the same thing. And the point is not to, for us to walk out of here feeling badly and beat up. Uh, for 2,000 years, Christians, if you read the writings of Christians over 2,000 years, you, you see that Christians have really beat themselves up over this issue of, of how, you know, the anger they feel in their heart. And so my, the goal this morning is not to beat ourselves up about, about anger. But the passage still bothers me because even though there is such a thing as righteous anger, and anger itself is not a sin, anger itself is not the problem, I know that, if I'm honest with myself, 80 to 90% of the anger that I struggle with is not the righteous anger that Jesus felt when his father's house was being violated, when, his, uh, when God's commands were not being obeyed. That, that's not always the, the, the righteous anger that's inside of me. But... Having said all that, I actually think there's good news in this passage, and that's what I want us to walk away with today, is, is seeing the good news that's right here. And so, so just, just like, you know, there, there's a news flash, we're going to have a good news flash, a couple of good news flashes. Um, uh, so good news flash number one, um, let's reread uh, verses 23 through 24, and you'll see what I'm about to talk about. Verses, verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So good news flash number one is that Jesus highly values relationships. Jesus highly values relationships. Now, when Jesus' first century listeners heard what Jesus said, they would have been shocked by this statement in verses 23 and 24 to leave your gift at the altar and go and re be reconciled. The Jews at that time would have understood that nothing is more important than offering your gift to God. Nothing is more important. And, and, and really, you know, nothing is. And yet Jesus shocked them by saying, delay your duty to God and in, for the sake of relationship. Delay your duty to God for the sake of relationship. Now, Jesus was using a little bit of hyperbole here. Hyperbole, that's where you overstate something to make your point. 
Uh, and Jesus uses that a lot throughout the Gospel of Matthew and especially in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're going to see that a lot. But even if there was hyperbole, the point, his point was that having right human relationships is a priority. It's a priority to God. Uh, keep reading with me in verse, starting verse 25 and then verse 26. Jesus says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, this, this idea that Jesus wants us to settle matters quickly, this is part of the good news. Most of us choose not to handle our relationship problems quickly. If you're like me, you're going to drag your feet. You're going to avoid having those hard conversations. You're going to avoid the honest words that you need to use. Uh, many of us uh, look for, you know, we, we might not be procrastinators in other parts of our life, but boy, when it comes to those relationship problems, we know how to procrastinate. Uh, and yet Jesus says to do it quickly. Now here's the good news part, part of this, you guys. If Jesus values relationships so much, then he's going to give you power. He's going to give you power for these priorities, for his priorities. All right? If God demands that we put reconciled relationships first, and God demands that we do it quickly, he's actually going to give us supernatural power to make sure that that actually happens. If relationships are such a priority to God, then he's going to give you every resource in heaven and on earth to make your relationships work. Now, I hear a few amens, but you guys, this, I, I don't know if ever, anyone quite gets how cool this is, that this is really good news. I've had multiple relationships in my life where I feel like, you know, they're too far gone, they're too frayed, there's too, too much water has passed under the bridge, it's, it's, it's not going to go, you know, if, if I try to reconcile now, it's not going to go well. But God is going to give all the resources of heaven and earth so that, so that it won't be too late, so that we can be reconciled, and that we can even do it quickly. This, this is really good news. Walk out of here today feeling the good news that God wants to give you power and resource and strength to make your relationships right. Um, go ahead and ask him for courage. It takes courage to face some of the hard things we have to face with people. It takes it, it, probably more courage sometimes to have that hard conversation with a loved one than it does to, you know, stand up to a bully or to, um, you know, face a, 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 a difficult health diagnosis. Sometimes it takes more courage just to have that hard conversation. Ask God for wisdom. Well, how do I do it, God? I don't know. What's the strategy? What, how do I even approach it? God, give me wisdom. God, give me the words. I don't, I don't know what to say, you know, after, like, oh, you're wearing a nice dress today, and I'm really mad at you. You know, like, I, I don't know how to do that, I, you know. Um, uh, ask God to open the doors. You might think the doors are solidly closed. They're locked. There's no way you're ever going to that, make that connection again. God's going to bust through that door. God's going to open that door. Uh, even, even those relationships you think are just too far gone, God can do this. And th this is really critical, by the way, that we, we get this. Um, 
because as, as, as I'm about to remind you, relationships are the real reflection of knowing God. Uh, you, you look at John the Apostle's logic here. John keeps repeating this in all of his letters. I just, it's almost to the point of making you sick, but look at John's logic here. In 1 John, he writes, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. You guys see the, John's logic here? Relationships reflect the genuineness of your relationship with God. So you might ask me, you know, oh, are, am I rightly related to God? Help me. And I say, I, I don't know. Let's look at your relationships. You, you know who's really good at this, by the way? Who's been an incredible, and he won't get embarrassed because he's not here right now, but um, pa Pastor Jim is an incredible example of this. I can't tell you the number of times where I've gone to him and I've said, gosh, Oh, Pastor Jim, do you realize what so-and-so said? And, oh, this guy is bothering me. He's really getting under my skin, you know. And Like, how can we fellowship with so-and-so because of... Uh. And Pastor Jim will just gently turn me back around and say, have you been cultivating relationship with him lately? Have you been... Uh, have, have, do, do you know this person struggles well enough to empathize with what she's going through, Andrew? And... Yeah, every time he brings me back to relationship, relationship, relationship. And he's been doing that for us for 25 years. So when a couple, few weeks from now when we celebrate his 25th anniversary, that's, that's one of the big legacies that he has, he's left with us already. And that's, and that's God's heart. That's God's heart to, uh, that, that we, we focus on relationships and prioritize it like Jesus did. So just to remind us, some super practical ways Jesus... Uh, that we can imitate Jesus in how to value relationships. Number one, proactively reconcile with one another. Proactively, that means you do it. You know, Jesus says here in um, verse 23, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you might be like, well, they're the one with the problem. You know, you do it. You go and reconcile. If, if it's, as far as it's possible, up to you. Obviously, if there's been real abuse, if there are all, there's all kinds of situations that nuance this out. But as far as it's up to you, you make it a priority. You proactively go and work at being reconciled. And then the second piece of advice straight out of the scripture, do it quickly. Do it quickly. Don't, don't let it drag out forever and ever and ever. Um, uh, Seize the opportunity and, and, and do it quickly. So, all right. Now, you might be thinking, okay, that's, that's nice advice, but Andrew, how does that help me with my anger problem? Andrew, how does that help you with your anger problem, which we all know you have? <laughs> right, now that you've admitted it, and we all have see, seen it for years, Andrew, but now we're finally admitting it to yourself. Now, how, how does it actually help with our anger problem? Um, Good news flash number two. Good news flash number two. Jesus frees us from the tyranny of the outside. He frees us from the tyranny of the outside. Now, what do I mean by that? What on earth do I mean by the tyranny of the outside? 
Uh, and, and what I'm about to explain, you, you can't really understand this passage. You can't really understand the gospel, the entire gospel of Matthew. You certainly can't understand the Sermon on the Mount without understanding this uh, of what, what I'm going to explain. This, so this is going to help you interpret the rest of the gospel of Matthew. It's going to help you interpret the rest of the Sermon on the Mount as we, as we march through that in, in, in coming weeks and months. Um, and, and that is that the whole gospel and the, whole, and the sermon especially is set up as a comparison between how Jesus wants us to follow him and how the Pharisees wanted the Jews to follow them. Okay, It's a comparison, comparison between Jesus and the Pharisees. And, and he sets it up over and over and over again. Um, there's a lot of history of how it came about this way, but probably the summary of, of, of the Pharisees' view of religion was that um, uh, all, of, um, all, all of religion should be about the um, maintaining an appearance of righteousness. The Pharisees believed that what's most important is that we look like we're following God, it, that we look like we're following God. And they wanted to enforce this tyranny on all of the Jews. They, said, they, they thought if we could get all the Jews to, be, to look like they're following God, God's going to have to give us his favor. He's going to have to protect us from our enemies. And uh, almost like their appearance of following God was going to hold God hostage, and he was going to have to be kind to them and favorable to them. And Jesus came to demolish this tyranny. Jesus came to demolish this tyranny. Um, and, and so we see it in the Gospel of Matthew throughout. We see it especially here in, uh, right here in this passage, we see it right in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. He was comparing the true way of following God and the Pharisees' way of following God. Here, here is Jesus' summary statement um, uh, about the Pharisees. It's in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 through 28. His summary statement of the Pharisees. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. You are like whitewashed tombs. I want us to think about that image for a little bit. Whitewashed tombs, mo most parts of the world, uh, America does it usually a little differently, but most parts of the world, you know, you, you travel to almost anywhere and you'll see this where uh, the tombs are outside, um, they like standing up like little buildings, and, uh, um, and, and, and the, the dead person is uh, in there. Um, but the outside might look really pretty. It's well taken care of. Relatives have done a good job of keeping it painted and the weeds taken away and, and so on. And so here Jesus is pointing out that the Pharisees paid a great deal of attention to what was on the outside, how it looked to other people, but they neglected the state of their heart before God. They neglected the state of their heart before God in favor of of making it look like everything was great on the outside. And I hate to say this, I hate to admit this, but I've had whole seasons of my life, even my Christian life, where most of my attention 
has gone to making it look really nice on the outside, of whitewashing that tomb and neglecting the state of my heart. And this is a total reversal of God's order. If, if, you, if you look through the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see uh, you know, this phrase comes again and again. At 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, says, God sees the heart. And that's what he's most after. That's what he's most concerned with. And the Pharisees reversed all that and said, what's most important is how you look on the outside, the appearance of doing the right thing. But Jesus brought an inside-out, upside-down gospel to free us from this tyranny. That's what we've been saying uh, ever since we started on the, uh, the Beatitudes uh, some months ago. That's what Pastor Jim reminded us of. He reminded us about that last week. Jesus brought an inside-out, upside-down gospel to free us from this tyranny. Jesus exposes it. He, he calls it what it is. It's a whitewashed tomb. That's a, that's a tomb you're maintaining there. That's not a, a building full of, uh, a house full of life, and, and that, that's, a, that's a tomb you're maintaining. So he exposes it. He shows us God's grief over it, how God's heart is broken, that we've neglected our state, the state of our heart. He, and he shows God's real concern, which is heart obedience, heartfelt obedience, obedience that comes from the heart, not obedience that, has, that is just eye service, that looks like obedience to other people, that impresses other people. So this is how Pastor Jim reminded us last week, this is how Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus didn't come to throw it away. There's been multiple eras throughout church history where Christians have said, yeah, Jesus is here to get rid of the law. That's why he came to get rid of the law. Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law. He came to fulfill the law, and this is how he does it. He shows us what the law is really all about. It's about this heart obedience. And, and guys, this is actually, this, I, I know not everyone might not feel this way when you first hear this. This is actually good news to have the false whitewashed tomb exposed and the true way revealed. This is actually good news. I, uh, it's good news for someone like me who struggles with passive, aggressive anger, where I know how to keep smiling on the outside and inwardly I'm boiling. Mm-hmm. You are in trouble. Yeah. Um, th- this is good news for someone like me that I don't have to pour my attention and my focus into maintaining that whitewashed tomb. That's not where my energy needs to go. That's sapping me. That's causing me to die uh, when I'm pouring my energy into maintaining how it looks on the inside. No one's going to think I'm an angry person if I keep smiling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. God frees me from that by exposing this. This is good news. It's step one in freeing me from the tyranny of the outside. But step two, step two, how Jesus fulfills the law, he frees us from this tyranny by enabling us to keep the law from the heart. He actually comes with internal transformation of our heart. Look at this this prophecy prophesied 800 years before Jesus from Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah says, I will make a new covenant. I will put my law in their minds and write it 
on their hearts, I will be their God, and they will be my people. The next verse, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. This is good news. Jesus is fulfilling the law, not just by telling you you should keep it, or telling you keep it even more intensely inside of you. Jesus is fulfilling the law by actually enabling you and me to walk in that heart obedience to which he calls us. Look at a, a generation later. Look at how Ezekiel has this same prophecy. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He's going to take that hard heart in us that says that, that, that can't find a way to obey him, that hard heart in us that, that uh, um, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much effort we put into it, won't be moved by God's love. He takes that hard heart and he replaces it with a heart of flesh that's soft, that's pliable, that will be moved by God. He puts that new heart of flesh in us, and then his own spirit comes inside of us and moves us from the inside out, moves us to follow him, moves us to walk with him. This is good news. The resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you and me so that we can follow him. This is how Jesus fulfills the law. This is how Jesus fulfills the law. We gain the new spirit, the new heart, the law written on our heart through Jesus. That's how he fulfills the law. And this is, this is good news. This is really good news, you guys. This is really good news because God plans to transform you and me from the inside out. He plans to transform my anger from the inside out. We're going to sing that, that song again from the inside out. And, uh, you know, that, that song in some ways could be the, in some ways that song could express the entire Sermon on the Mount, the entire Sermon on the Mount, that God, God wants to transform us on the inside out. Yes, Jesus comes with demands uh, that we obey him from the deepest part of our being. And he doesn't just demand, he actually will give us all the resource, his own spirit, himself, to transform us from the inside out. Do the power of your blood again for this? Yeah. Just, we're we're going we're gonna to sing the power of your blood, and uh, I'm going to give the benediction before that. But I just want, if, if, if you feel locked in you, if, if you feel like you're already in that prison that Jesus said, will be locked into if we don't settle matters quickly. feel like you're already in that, that prison of, of uh, isolation, of disconnection. Um, uh, look to the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is what will set you free. It's the blood of Jesus uh, that the, the, the chorus goes, you know, um, would you do service for Jesus your king? I would, but I've got this anger problem. Um, I, it says, uh, 
you know, would, would, you, would you do service? Look to Jesus. The blood of Jesus is what will set you free. So look to him now as we sing this. And Heavenly Father, I pray your love will go with your people. I pray, Lord God, that your power would go with your people. I pray, God, that we would be transformed by the sight of your glory and your power and your love. And I ask this as we go now in, your, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.